0: What awesome truths that we sang about this morning, how great is our God, and we get to spend those 10,000 years eternity with him. Well, it's an honor to stand before you this morning um, and speak to you. I know a, a couple of you here have been prodding me to speak, and I've tried to hold out as long as I could, um, but today seemed like a pretty good day. Um, and so this will be a new experience for me, something that I've never done, giving a sermon on a, on a Sunday morning. Um, I know I've given plenty of talks and probably what the youth would consider lengthy talks, um, but uh, uh, nothing in front of people who uh, could uh, probably uh, question a lot of maybe what I have to say here today. So um, I hope that you'll forgive me for my inexperience, my constant looking down at my notes. I am agreeing with what I'm saying. Uh, But I am reading my notes here. So Uh, this pulp, I think Alex did say before, is kind of intimidating. But I will say, I think, Mike DeCourcy, are you wearing a Cubs shirt today? Okay, wonderful. That that has put me at ease this morning. So uh, I know I've probably lost maybe half of you there, and those half would probably say you probably shouldn't feel comfortable as a Cubs fan. Um, But uh, there's always next year, huh? That's the hope that we have. So... All righty. Well, as many of you know, this has been a pretty busy week for Kelsey and myself and for Emma. Um, when I agreed to speak, I, uh, of course, you know, sometimes the dads don't quite think about these things. Um, but I didn't realize when I agreed to speak that my wife was, had a, a surgery scheduled for the 25th. So it's been a busy week for us. But um, thankfully, by God's grace, he, uh, he allowed us to have another daughter delivered uh, Friday, um, Hallie Renee. So, I figured I'd show a picture. Thank you, thank you. I guess when you're up here, you can do those things. All right, that's good. So we're all we're we're both very proud. Um, so it has been a busy week for us, but but God has been gracious in bringing everything together. And now, um, I guess a couple weeks ago too, standing up for doing the call to worship, I had mentioned a conference that we went to called Together for the Gospel, and uh, it was a man that spoke there that I really. Didn't really look forward to hearing to, or, or thought maybe I, nah, I don't think I want to listen to his message. I can maybe go to the bookstore or do something else. But um, that message more than any of the others convicted me and, and challenged me. Um, and so, in thinking about a topic to to speak with you today, um, I kind of wanted to borrow a little of what I heard, and especially even that passage that that he used, and share that with you today. So I hope you don't hold that against me. I know that as Christians, we are called. Uh, that when we, we hear God's word, we're called to to teach and to, uh, maybe not all to preach, but to teach and to proclaim that to others. So, that is what I want to do uh, today. Um, now, I've entitled this sermon, if you look on your notes there, The Gospel in an Unfamiliar Place, because it takes place in the book of Numbers. And uh, Numbers is a book that I'm sure a lot of us don't really read on a consistent basis. Some, maybe in their lifetimes, have read it maybe through once, maybe twice, maybe never at all. Um, and I know there's probably half of you here. I know Galen enjoys the, the Old Testament. Um, and the other half are, ah, I, don't know, I don't know about this. I don't know what, what we're going to hear this morning. Because um, it's not really that, that book that you read through on your, your daily devotional. Um, but because of its unfamiliarity, I, I'll give you a brief overview of the book just real quick. Numbers is a book about Moses, the Israelites, Wandering, dirt, desert, laws, and rituals. And it sounds like a pretty boring thing. Um, and it talks about the highs and the lows of the human experience. From faithfulness to people behaving pretty badly. And Numbers now could also could be considered a book about history. Um, and it, it covers the Israelites from their journey from Mount Sinai to the Jordan River. And if you're like me... And if you're like Nathan Lester, you enjoy history. Um, and it gets me, gets me excited. Um, in fact, my wife would probably tell you that I like watching the History Channel maybe just a little too much. Um, and now there's, there's probably not much history on there anymore. Um, but when there is a documentary, I, I love uh, seeing those. Because um, it talks about our past. It talks about the people that have gone on before us. And we can look at them and learn from them. Um. But maybe one of the most important reasons that people study history is that they don't want to repeat the bad things that have happened. Uh, So we can read, we can study, and we can learn from them. To learn what hasn't worked, and don't do that, and repeat the stuff that does. And in fact, uh, the books of uh, Exodus and Numbers are given to us for that very same reason. They're an instruction manual for us to follow. In fact, Galen this morning to the call to worship read from 1 Corinthians 10. And it shows there, right in verse 11, it says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So these books, this book of Numbers, it's written down for our instruction, and these examples are for us to follow. Uh, So knowing the importance of such a book, knowing that everything in God's holy scriptures is inspired, uh, and it's inerrant, it's with that that we come to our text this morning. So if you would, please stand and turn to Numbers 5, 1 through 4, as we read that this morning. Numbers 5, 1 through 4. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge, and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp, in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so, and put them outside the camp, as the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come before you just thanking you so much again, just for the opportunity to open your scriptures to read your word, Father God, and I pray that as we do that, I pray that you would allow me just to unpack this scripture for you this morning, Father, that we could find your great truths and your gospel in this scripture. Father God, grant me clarity in thought and speech, and Father, that you would just continue to work on everybody's hearts here this morning. We love you, Lord, and we thank you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, Numbers. So, Numbers 5, 1 through 4. Again, maybe there's half of you here wondering, what in the world is he going to talk about? And I'm sure there's a number of people in here, including me, that are uncomfortable with maybe a certain word or two in this passage. Um, And I'm going to throw it out there. The word discharge is an uncomfortable word. Um, So... Uh, I, I, kinda, I tried to look for a different version, maybe, that, that labeled it just a little bit differently. Everything else had the same exact wording, except for the King James. And it uh, instead of the word discharge, it used that half an issue, which, you know, you could take that just maybe a couple different ways. So for our purposes today, we're going to use the ESV and use that word. So I'll try and be as sensitive as I can, knowing that it is uncomfortable for me to say it as much as for you to hear it. All right. Okay, so here we have the Israelites, faithful to the call, to the voyage to the promised land, under the leadership of Moses, and have come into some certain types of defilement, um, of no fault of their own, really. And what's the, what's the result? They're excluded from their camp. No questions asked. If they have leprosy, if they have... A discharge, if they've come into contact with a dead person, they're removed from their families, they're placed outside of the camp. So looking at this at face value, uh it appears that this is not something that a loving, caring, kind God would do, does it? Doesn't look real caring at all. And what is God even what's he doing here? Is this some sort of punishment for his chosen people and on, on who he said he would bring to the promised land? Uh, well as we're going to find out, that couldn't be further from the truth. And we'll see as, this, as we unpack this that this passage reveals some truths about God, it reveals some truths about us, and it ultimately reveals some truths about our Savior. And if you look at the, the message notes that I have given you, or that I guess Felicia printed out, uh, you'll see there are three different sections that we've broken this, this sermon up this morning into three different sections. The practical, the purpose, and the point. And we'll look at each reason to figure out what God is doing through these verses here uh, in Numbers. So let's take a look this morning at the practical reason for for these verses for the Israelites. Leprosy, as defined, is a skin disease that produces sores, nerve damage, and muscle weakness that gets progressively worse over time. Depending on what type you have, it gets progressively worse over time. And it's passed on by close and repetitive contact with an infected individual. So what are the Israelites to do here if, if someone contracts this, this skin disease inside of the camp? Well, God, by his infinite wisdom and his mercy, has already showed them here through these laws what to do. The disease, although it's, it, it is treatable today for the most part, could have had the capability to infect tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands of the Israelites on their voyage to the promised land. So what does God say? Outside of the camp. So God is saving, he's protecting, and he's keeping hundreds of thousands of Israelites clean by this law. Now when we view this verse out of that lens, we do see a loving God who is kind And who cares greatly for his people? And we can think about it another way. The Israelites, on their way to the promised land, were planning on waging war, and especially in Canaan. In fact, the beginning of Numbers, in Numbers 1-3, tells that Moses and Aaron were commanded by God to take a census uh, from every tribe of Israel, of all the men 20 years old and older, who were able to go to war. And after counting all the men... Verse 46, and it depends on what translation you have here today, says the number was listed as 603,550 able-bodied men that could do battle for the Israelites. Knowing that, knowing that you're going to be going to war, um, if one of your able-bodied men contracted this disease or came into contact with a dead person, um, they really couldn't afford to do that, to lose one of their men. So... There had to be a way of quarantine to keep this epidemic from spreading. And uh, God says, outside of the camp. So the practical reason for such a law is to protect his people from tens to even hundreds of thousands of people, of Israelites, becoming infected. So, he is a loving, he's a caring God, and his reasons are good, they're right, they're wise, and they are very kind. So we see the practical. Point two, the purpose of these laws. The purpose of this, these laws here is very, very simple. It's to show us who God is. And more specifically, that he is holy, that he is present in the camp, and that he has spoken. Now, if we look at these defilement laws in Numbers and Leviticus, they speak of a God who is pure, who is undefiled, and who who does not live with those that are defiled. He is separate from anything that is unclean. We see that in verse 3 here, if you take a look. "You You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of where I dwell. Now, if we look at the definition of what the root word defile means, it means to make unclean or unpure, or in other words, to corrupt the purity and perfection that was once there. Now, this sounds a lot like our condition, doesn't it? The condition in our heart that produces the desire to sin against a God who is completely pure. At his core, he is pure and he is holy. And sin is is normally brought about in one of, Two ways. One, doing something that goes against God's commands. And two, not doing something that God commands you to do. I think Sean used to point that out when he was here. The sin of, of uh, omission and the sin of commission. So, doing so not doing something God wants you to do. But, when, but what does sin then do in our lives? Plainly, it defiles us. It makes us impure and unclean before the living, holy God. It brings about in you that which God did not intend when he created us, when he created human beings. And the ultimate expression of that sin, if it festers, if if we don't repent of it, uh, does not bring life, but what? It brings death. And we see this in uh, in the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. They believe that By eating of the tree of the knowledge and good of evil, they'd get equality with God and live. But what was that? That was a sin. So instead of life, instead of communion with God, they received defilement, and then they received ultimately through that sin, death. And not only that, but they were excluded from the garden. Much in the same way as they were excluded, the Israelites were excluded from the camp for defilement, Adam and Eve were excluded from the garden for their defilement. So we see these examples of being unclean and going against God's commands, and they should they should tell us something about that unrepentant sin in our lives and what defilement does with our communion with God. In fact, the New Testament points to this very same thing in in its final book, Revelation twenty-one. If you guys want to turn there, you can. You don't have to. But Revelation 21, we're going to be looking at verses 8 and verses 27. Revelation 21, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we see here in Revelation that that in the same way that the ceremonial laws in Numbers excluded somebody from the camp, can translate in the same way for those of us who are not saved, with unrepentant sin in our lives, they are defiled. They're unclean, and they're excluded from God forever. And that's, it's talking about eternity. And I, I do want to make a distinction between those here who are saved and who are not saved. We who are children of God, we who are saved, um, have had our, our sins forgiven. But we're not perfect. We're not made perfect until... We reach heaven. And so we're going to continue to struggle. But the difference is we have the Holy Spirit there to convict us and to bring us back into right standing with God Um, and as God continues his sanctifying work in our lives. The difference then is between those who are unrepentant, who are blatant in their sin, who don't want to turn their face to the living God. They are considered unclean. And this passage will remain a stumbling block for them because it's talking about their defilement, their uncleanliness, and their exclusion from glory, from God for eternity. Because God does not dwell with the unclean, and he is pure and holy. And thank goodness we who are his children get that veil between God and us through Jesus, that he views us as clean. So God is holy. But God is also present. God is not on the outskirts of, of the camp here looking from a distance. He is present with his people in the camp. Uh, if anyone has heard or had the privilege of, her, of hearing uh, David Platt or read any of his books, you know he is a very, uh, very dynamic uh, speaker. He's very wise. Um, he's, he's fairly young, um, He's he's in his mid thirties, so he's fairly fairly young. And he actually gave a sermon two years ago at Together for the Gospel. And I know a few of us were here uh, here were, were at that conference as well. Um, and he spoke on death defying missions. And uh, Chris Raber attended the uh, conference with us as well. It was before he um, he they left to go to Costa Rica, but it was basically talking about what God has called us to do as Christians. And he talked all about going overseas and reaching those people who are the unreached. And I remember uh, Chris and a a few others, I think Josh and and Dylan were were there, sat at a different part than some of the rest of us. And after that sermon, um, uh, Chris came up and he was all fired. Okay, I'm ready to go. Let's go. Uh, I don't need to hear anybody else. We can leave. I'm ready to go to Costa Rica. So he was... He was ready to go. Uh, But that's what this David Platt, um, what his sermons do. I I usually kid that I don't like listening to him because he makes me feel uncomfortable. But it's a good uncomfortable because it's a call to action. Um, And recently, we heard a sermon of his from Exodus 32 through 33 that makes the point that God is present with his people. And if we look at this passage, we see that God is wanting to pour out his wrath on the Israelites. And why is that? Because they made a golden calf. They were going to worship an image that that wasn't God. And so God was wanting to pour out his wrath and, and be done with those people. But we see here that Moses was acting as the mediator between them and God. And if you read through Exodus 32, you see that he pleads with God. God, do not do this. Remember that the Israelites are your chosen people. Remember the promise that you gave us to bring us out of Egypt and take us to the promised land. And so after Moses prays and he pleads with God, what does it say that he does? It says God changes his mind. Or as the ESV says, he relented from destroying his people. And if you read on in chapter 33, we see God commands Moses then, okay, I'm not going to wipe out the Israelites. But he tells Moses, go ahead and lead your people and depart for the promised land, but my presence will not go with you. Now, most of us here today, if, if God gave us that offer, we would probably take that in a heartbeat, wouldn't we? Okay, I can have the promised land, really? I, you'll give me that, but your presence isn't going to go with me? Sure, I'll take that. I think a lot of us would probably take that if we get that reward. But it says that the Israelites were devastated. Why? Because they knew that the real treasure, the real reward was the dwelling with God. They knew that that was the real, real blessing, better than, than living in the promised land. So they wanted him to come with them. So we see again that Moses pleads with God. He intercedes on behalf of the Israelites. He's their mediator again. And ultimately, we see that in verse 14 that God says, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So God fulfills that promise. He goes with Moses and his chosen people. So God is present now in numbers in that camp. And God is with his people. And since God is present in that camp, we have to be very careful about defilement. Anything unclean, the blood of sacrifices, the refuse, all of that stuff outside of the camp. Because God is present with his people in his camp. So God is holy. God is present. And the final thing here with this second point is God has spoken. Now, if we come back to our text, in Numbers, we see in verse 4 here. Let me read that for you. And the people of Israel did so, and put them outside of the camp. As the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. Now, just think about this for a second. You've got a wife or a husband, and they've contracted leprosy. And the priest comes to you saying, well, okay, you, you know, your wife, she's contracted leprosy. We've got to take her outside the camp. It's very contagious. That, that's the law. We have to take her outside the camp. Or maybe your, your firstborn uh, maybe has lost a, a grandparent. And they want to they give him one more hug. But they've touched a, a defiled dead person. And so they, too, have become defiled. And the priest again comes, Hey, we need, to, we need to take you outside of the camp. You know, But Daddy, I don't want to go. I, I, I don't understand what I did. No, son, it'll be alright. It'll be okay. You'll be alright. Would we have obeyed? <laughs> but, but they are excluded from the camp outside of the safety and protection in the wilderness. But it just seems so easy to read this passage to see that it says as the lord said to moses so the people of israel did it just it just seems too easy but would we have put a stink about it stink up about it and there is where where the rubber meets the road isn't it that when when god commands you to do something we we read a scripture we see something in the bible something breaks our hearts Will we follow what Scripture says, or are we going to do what we want to do? And I know that there are many Christians out there that proclaim that the Bible is completely truthful, but when they get to a part of Scripture maybe that they don't really agree with, or that's maybe out of step with the culture, they reinterpret it to fit their own will and their own desire. We see this in uh, in the homosexual movement right now. We see this in the debate between the reality of hell. And so we read, God speaks to our hearts, and the question is, are we going to follow what God has spoken, or are we just going to kind of make things up as we go along? Make things up to fit our mold. So this was a test for the Israelites. Were they going to obey? Were they going to obey because of what God had spoken? I've got a buddy of mine up in uh, northern Indiana who has been a pastor at a church for six years. And he has done an an incredible job. It's actually the church that he grew up in. He's got family that lives at this, or that goes, that attends this church. Um, And God has been working on him and his family and calling them to a new area. Just a few hours away, but it's still a new area. a A new venture for them. A new mission for them. Um, and they've tried to, much like what we've been going through here, they've tried to not listen to that. But the call's been so strong that they, that they had to listen to it. And ultimately, he did accept that position at this new church. And so God called, and he answered that call. Now, there are some people, some of his family members, that are left at this church wondering, God, why would you do this? Questioning his sovereignty surely you would not take my son away from us, away from his ministry here. But the thing is that when God commands you to do something, um, when he speaks and where he directs, we are commanded to listen and obey. And I think that even means the people behind need to listen and obey and understand that even though it's not easy. <laughs> We're commanded to obey. So the purpose of these laws then was to show who God is and that he is holy, that he is present, and that he has spoken. We get a great picture of how great is our God. We sang about this, that this morning, how great is our God. So the law was given for a practical reason. The law was given for a specific purpose, But our final point for this morning is, um, what is the point? Or better yet, who does it point to? And I'd like to turn our attention now to the book of Luke, chapter 24. Last week, Alex gave a sermon, or I guess what he likes to call a long devotional. Um, I would label it a sermon, but that's a debate for a different time. Um, He gave a talk on... uh, this, this passage. And as we see in this passage, Jesus is talking to his disciples after appearing to them. And what Alex pointed out was that Jesus ultimately explained the scriptures. He pointed them to himself. And he didn't just read the New Testament. It obviously wasn't written back then. He started, what, with Moses and all of the prophets to point to himself, to point to the person of Christ, to point to the prophecies that were stated in that book that pointed to him. And Luke records all of this for us, doesn't he, in in his gospel. And Luke, being, I guess, a doctor, a physician, certainly would have known the passage that we're discussing this morning in Numbers about defilement. And he talks about them in his book. If you'll turn with me again, I know we got you jumping around all this morning. If you turn with me again to Luke 5, we'll see. We'll see the passage here. Luke 5, 12 through 13. We see that Jesus crosses paths now with a man who has leprosy. Luke 5, 12 through 13. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell down on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And I'm sure about this time, the men around Jesus who were following him said, Jesus, don't do that, knowing these scriptures. Don't touch the man with leprosy. Don't touch him. You'll become unclean. You can't touch him and be clean. Don't do that. But what does it say in verse 13? And Jesus stretched out his hand... And he touched him, saying, I will be clean. So something amazing happens here. We see that, that Jesus touches the leper, and the leper becomes clean, and Jesus is also clean. Neither of them are unclean. So Jesus is showing here that he can do what even, not even the Levitical law could do. The law only says what to do with a person when they are unclean, when they become clean, but it does not give any instruction for how to make a person clean. The priests couldn't even do this. Moses couldn't even do this. Because Jesus is the only one who could do this. If you turn with me one more time, turn to Luke 8. The story continues. Luke 8, starting in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored them to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him. And there again, we probably see the people noticing that she's starting to crowd in around him, knowing what she wants to do. Jesus, don't let her get close to you. Jesus, do not let her touch you. She's unclean. You'll become unclean. And what does it say there? Continuing in verse 44. And touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Immediately. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Again, we see that she becomes clean and Jesus is clean nobody is unclean but let's continue verse 49 while he was still speaking someone from the ruler's house came and said your daughter is dead do not trouble the teacher any more but Jesus on hearing this answered this answered him do not fear Only believed, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except for Peter, John, and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. And again, probably Peter, John, and James here were saying, Jesus, don't touch her. We know what you're probably going to do. Don't touch her. You'll become unclean. She's been dead. The law says if you touch a dead person, you have to go outside the camp. Don't touch her. Verse 54. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, much like a father would address one of his daughters. Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. So we see a picture of not defilement, but of undefilement. We see a picture of a a, a girl that was dead. Jesus touches her. She comes back to life and, and is made clean. And Jesus is also clean. So who is this, this man that does things that even Moses and, and the priests couldn't even do? Well, as you and I know, he is the Son of God. He's, he's the Word made flesh. And he's the only mediator for God's people. And he's the only one that can truly make anyone clean. So why all this, why all this stuff in Numbers 5? Why, why do we even talk about that? Because of, because of this. There are many of us here who are in this same condition. But it's a condition in our hearts. And we've been holding on to sin for so long in our lives. Things that we probably would not want to tell anyone. Things that we probably haven't even told anyone. And when Jesus comes knocking on the door of our hearts, we say, unclean. We're too ashamed of what we've done. God, don't come near me. You'll become unclean. God, I've done too much. Don't even look at me. I'm ashamed. You can't help me. But what does God do? He reaches inside of us. He touches that heart, that sin of ours. And he says, I will be clean." And see, some of us here think we're too far gone. That God can never save a sinner like you. All we need to do here is look at Luke 8. (laughs) Jesus brought a girl back from the dead. How far gone do you think you are? And if you're alive here today, my friends, know that God wants to do a work in you. And if you have not allowed him to make you clean, do that this morning. Now, we could end there, but there's one more thing. One more thing I want you to understand. How is it that Christ is able to do this? If you turn with me quickly, one last time, to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, 10 10 through 13. You will see the reason why. Hebrews 13, starting at verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. So Jesus is able to be our mediator, to be our savior. Because he went outside of his camp. He went outside the camp and bore our burden. Christ left heaven. He left the presence of God to come to this earth. To live a perfect life and to die for our sins. Allowing those of us who believe in that. And repent of our sins. And allow him to be our Lord and master. To be saved. To be with him forever. So he went outside the camp to bear our burdens because he loves us and that we in turn then could be made clean so that we could be in God's presence and live with him forever. And then what does verse 13 say there? Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. So because of this, because of what he has done, Because he has come and was able to do something that the law couldn't even do to make us clean. Let's go outside the camp and bear that reproach for him or with him. So the challenge is this. You're never too far gone. And will you allow God to make you clean today? because he saves us from death. He saves us from an eternity apart from him. He makes us clean where we can have then that eternal communion with him. And since he has done this, will you do as Christ did and bear the burdens for our sins around you to go where Jesus did outside of the camp? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for what you did in sending your son, Jesus, to this earth. Father God, for... Allowing him to come outside of of his camp. Father God, to bear our approach. To spill his blood, God, where the blood of sacrifices was thrown. Where the refuse was thrown. where, Where the people who couldn't even be inside the camp were. That's where you allowed our Savior to lay down his life for us. And God, it's, it's something we don't deserve. We, we deserve your wrath. We deserve, to, we deserve death. But Father God, for those that call on you, for those that accept your son as their Lord and master and are sorry for their sins, Father God, you give them eternal life and communion with you. And we thank you so much for that. We thank you for this book, the Bible, that guides us, that directs us, and that breaks our hearts. And I pray that we would listen to your voice. And listen to what you command us to do, Father God. And we wouldn't make it up. But Father God, we want to go and do what it is you're calling us to do. So Father God, go with us this day. um, And allow us just to want to praise you more for who you are and what you have done for us. And we thank you. pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.